you guys here today? Oh, it's good. <laughs> it's good to be seen. Good to be seen. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. There goes our children. They're moseying on out. That's half our church. <laughs> That's half our church. <laughs> okay. Let me have you uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start off in verse 10. Now, if you've been following us along, if you've been following along any time with us these last few months, since July of last year, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We've taken our time in certain passages and certain places, and we've gone through, <laughs> that's where you sit. And we, we've gone through, Kenneth saying, where's everybody on this side? I said, that's where you sit. Uh, and... Uh, and if you've, if you've kept up with us, you've known that uh, Ephesians has been a very powerful book that Paul had written. Paul wrote it out of prison. He wrote it literally as a prisoner for Christ. He's more than likely at the end of his life, he only has a few years left, if that. Um, tradition has it. We don't have it in Scripture, but tradition has it that uh, Paul had, uh, was beheaded in Rome. He, he was arrested in Jerusalem, kept a couple of years there. Then taken to Rome, kept a couple of years there, and then not long after that, uh, they just executed him. But in that time, he was able to write some letters. He was able to reflect back on a lot of the things that had taken place and, and how he had uh, just encouraged the people in Ephesus and, and how he shared his heart and his passion and all that he was able to muster and everything that he's learned along the way with all these missionary trips that he was doing. He had three trips that he went throughout all that known world at that time to be able to spread the gospel. He'd go to cities and places where people were congregating, mainly where, I mean, it was just one of the, what, some of the most diabolical places on earth. If you can think of uh, Las Vegas and San Francisco and LA and any other big city combined together with all the, the heresy and the ugliness and the false worship and the gods and everything else, including the sexual immorality, these are the cities that Paul would target. And there were churches there that he built. And there was a church there in Ephesus. Ephesus is the city, the church at Ephesus was the one place where people would congregate and he would instruct them. And a lot of these people would bring stuff in from the outside and so they would try to influence the church with that manner. But Paul was very adamant about making sure none of that stuff entered the church. And so what Paul had done is he instructed the church in the first three chapters. As we went over, if you haven't, uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go over last Sunday's message. I went over just a very brief summary of the book of Ephesus. The first three books are doctrine. This is who you are positionally. And now this is who you, what you possess and what you are to do uh, from verses 4, 5, and 6, chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so in these next few chapters, and right here at the end, Paul finally comes to his finality. He says... Finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You see, Paul is about to share with us the most important wardrobe that you can put on. And of course, as I mentioned, he's, he's, he's in handcuffs. He's chained to a guard. He's looking at this guard. He looks at the helmet that the guard wears, the breastplate, the belt that holds everything together. How he has this sword and this shield to protect him and to advance with. How his feet are just covered in, in, in such a way to be able to protect his feet as he marches into battle. And Paul is looking at this soldier and he says, you know, you and I were in this battle as well. This is not the first time that he talks about this. And so what I'm going to do for the next several weeks is I'm going to, first of all, share with you on, on why it's important to be strong in the Lord. Okay, I'm going to share that with you this morning. And as the weeks come on in the next couple of weeks or so, I'm going to share with you why it is that we need to be strong in the Lord. Because in, in verse 11, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so what Paul is getting across here is he says, you know, there's some things here that you need to know. There's some things that, and this devil, this adversary, the person that's accusing you, he is, is accusing you and, and that's who he, who he is and that's what he does. 
we're going to get into where it is that we find Satan in Scripture. Where did he come from? Why does he have all this power? Why do they call him the serpent of old, the devil, Satan, the accuser? Why do they call him all these things? Who is he? Is he really the, the angel of light? Did he really lead worship in, in, in heaven? Is that, are those the things? That, and if that's the case, why did God allow him to be even brought into the world? And so I'm going to share some of those things with you next week and and, uh, the following week after that. But first and foremost, Paul says we need to be strong in the Lord. And because the adversary, the accuser, the deceiver, the liar, the dragon, as the book of Revelation calls it, Revelation chapter 12, the great red dragon, he's not necessarily a real dragon, but it's pictured as the most ugliest and ferocious type of being that John could even think of. And he's thinking about this, this dragon with these heads, uh, you know, seven heads and ten horns. And, and what do these seven heads mean? And, and these ten horns, the seven heads are the seven dynasties that have arisen over history. The ten horns are the ones that are going to be underneath Antichrist that he's going to be manipulating in the last days. And so these are the things that John is trying to get across to his readers in the book of Revelation. And he's trying, he describes to us who Satan is. And this adversary that you have, if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know that there is something out there, someone out there that is against you. From the very beginning, if you followed along with us here in the last several months and have heard the messages and, and have been applying them to your life and trying to get this to, to get this going straight in my life, as I mentioned, the first three chapters of doctrine in chapter four, Paul starts off walk in the manner that you are worthy of the calling that you are worthy of walk in this manner. And if you took that to heart and we started to, to walk in that manner, he says, you know, what you need to do is walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, walk in humility. And he says, okay, pastor, how do I do that? Well, you got to think less of yourself. I can do that. Walk in gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Anytime there's unity, Satan is there to disrupt it. If you have been trying to live as a humble person in gentleness and love even those that you cannot love, And if you've been trying to to build this unity within your own life and in your own family and in the church, you're going to find opposition. It's just going to come to you. Just know this straight up the bat. This is why Paul is saying, finally, I've told you all this stuff now. I need you to know this. And he says, finally, because right there is a transitional word that you have to go back. It's one of those therefore words. When when you see the word therefore, you need to find out what's it there for. When he says finally, well, finally what, Paul? Well, you know, we should have been reading everything before that. Finally, if you're going to walk in the spirit, if you're going to walk in and build this unity, if if you're going to submit to one another, as it says in chapter five, if you're going to be imitators of God, if you're going to live this new life, if you're going to leave the old life behind, if you're no longer going to live the sexual immorality, if you're no longer going to to try to be your own boss, if you're going to to submit to one another, if wives, if you're going to try to submit to your husbands and husbands, if you're going to try to submit to your wives and love them and children are going to submit to the parents and parents are not going to exasperate their children and bosses and employers and employees. If you're going to try to live in this unity, you can guarantee that the adversary is going to accuse you against one another. This is just a guarantee because you have an enemy and this enemy wants nothing more but to kill, steal and destroy your life, destroy your happiness, destroy your peace. He wants to steal, kill and destroy your family. He wants nothing to do with anything of God from the very beginning. From from the very beginning, this enemy sought to destroy what God started to do. Of course, he went after Eve and deceived her, deceived her, made her lust after the fruit and the power of the man. And the man submitted to his wife in the wrong way and they were cast out of the garden. And in the time that they were raising children, Cain become very, became very jealous of the righteous Abel. And Satan knew that, you know, if this righteous man continues to rise up, then what's going to happen is going to be all this righteousness in the world. So sin entered Cain's life. It was waiting for him at the door and God said to him, don't submit to it. And what did he do? He killed his brother Abel. In the, as before the flood came up, Noah was, uh, was a righteous man. 
And Satan knew that these people of God were going to rule the world. So he had the, angel, the sons of men or angels, demonic beings, have uh, intercourse with the women on the planet and created this mongrel type of race, this unredeemable race. And Satan says, you know, if I can just create this unredeemable, you can't redeem this spirit, this evil spirited individual. And he says, and now I've won again. And God says, I'm going to wipe the whole world out and start over with my servant Noah. Time after time, as the people grew and Abraham became the father of the nation of the Jews and and they were captivated by the Egyptians and and they were slaughtered and killed and and out of that came out a remnant and and that remnant came and and they took over the promised land and in the promised land they continue to sin and Satan infiltrated this people and he hates Israel from the very beginning. And everything that comes out of Israel and the judges had to be brought up because they were the ones to help God's people get back on track. But time after time. And finally, well, I shouldn't say finally, but then, as you know, the story unfolds and we'll be celebrating this here pretty soon. That as the story unfolds, the enemy really believes that, you know what, all I have to do is just get rid of the Messiah. There he is. I found him tempted him to to trust him you know just let's let's forget about the cross it's going to be painful you know this just worship me and and i'll give you what you came for i'll let you have all these nations and he tried to eradicate that system that god was trying to install and develop his own system this enemy is real and he wants you and he desires to have you and you need to know this up front the, the sad thing is, is that many people, when they start to feel this, this pushback or this whatever it is that happens in their life, this anger, this resentment, they believe that it's between that other person and themselves. Yeah. And, and you have this road rage of people shooting each other, people fighting with one another, of people just, uh, you know, you have anger and, and animosity towards races and one another. And you think it's because of the color of their skin or because of where they grew up or who they are and all of these ideas and thoughts that the enemy is just trying to destroy this planet and he's going to keep going and he's going to keep going and it's not against you and me as a matter of fact Paul goes on to say and we're just going to look at this in verse 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood you're not fighting against each other you're not fighting against your brother and your sister you're not fighting against your mom and your dad you're not fighting against your husband or your wife you're not fighting against your boss or your uh, your employees you're fighting against spiritual forces But your struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's where the battle is being taken care of. It's not the government. It's not the corporations. It's not the media. It's not everyone else in charge. Those are just pieces of the chess piece. You are a pawn, and a pawn in the, in the hand of a mighty God becomes a mighty weapon that can conquer any king of this world. If you know anything about chess, you have strong pieces. You have the king, you have the queen, the queen is the most powerful one. You have the knights, the rooks, the, the bishops, and you have the pawns. And those guys are the smallest ones on the board, but they have the power that God can use to destroy the evil forces. This is why Paul says, be strong in the Lord, in Him. And this is interesting wording. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. He doesn't say, be strong, get yourself strong. He didn't say, get ready, buff yourself up. I want you to pray. I want you to fast, which you should. I want you to go out there and fight the enemy. He never says, fight the enemy. He never says, advance into that kingdom. What he says is resist. He says, resist the devil and he will flee. You see, when we talk a little bit more about Satan and who he is, Satan is a created being. I think we give Satan too much power, too much credit. We give him too much authority over our lives. He only has the authority that you are allowed to give him. He's just a yappy little chihuahua. That's all he is. And he's nipping at your feet. I read a book one time of this, um, The Present Darkness is what it was called. I think it was Neil Anderson. And he's describing his... Uh, encounter with with this little puppy that just just started to jump at him 
him and his brother and his, uh, his father went to go visit a friend and they opened up the gate and this little chihuahua just bolted right past his dad. His dad just kind of looked at him, bolted right past the big brother and he came right at him. Why? Because he showed fear and he cried and he ran and he jumped on top of the car. And while the dad and the friend are talking and the brother is laughing at the little boy, that poor little kid is just, he's scared and he's crying, tears. Come on, son, it's okay. It's all right. Why didn't the dog attack the father? because of his boldness, because of where he stood. He knew that this Chihuahua had no power. As a matter of fact, we'll read in the Old Testament where, where God says sometimes, where the kings are saying, is this who we were afraid of at the end times? That's the guy that we were afraid of? That's the enemy? Yeah. It's going to blow you away. You're going to realize that all this time, that all these things that seem to be happening, you blame on Satan, it really is nothing but your own Letting him do it. You're giving him the authority. He has no authority. He's not omniscient, number one. He's not omniscient, meaning he doesn't know everything. He can't get into your mind unless you let him in. He can't, he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at the same time. Only God can be that way. And some people believe that only Santa Claus can be that way. But no. Only God knows what you're thinking. Only God knows if you've been bad or good. Only God can be at all places at all times. In one place, and only God has all power. Satan does not. This is why we have to be in the power of the Lord, in the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. And Paul is getting this across. Look, you're going to have these problems. It's going to happen. So you, this is how you get ready. It doesn't mean you just sit back and okay, I can watch TV and that's it. And there's nothing else I need to do because you know what? Satan doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't even care if you read your Bible. He doesn't even care if you, you know, give and do all these good things. But what he does care about is if you activate your faith. When you put on the helmet of salvation, that's protecting your mind. In other words, your mind is active. Your mind is starting to get get ready to to do what you need to do. When you have this belt of truth that we're going to talk about, it holds everything together. And, And if you just leave yourself exposed and Satan's going to come in and say, you know what? You're fine. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You know, it's okay if you miss one Sunday. You know, I mean, it's okay if you miss two Sundays. You know, it's all right. You know, if it's okay if you miss three or four. Now, I know that during our time, these last couple of years, it's been difficult. But can you just think of a better way to get God's people out of church than to scare them to not to go? And when you go, you can't talk to anybody. If you do, you got to be six feet apart and you can't even fellowship. Don't even think about hugging. Now, please, I I understand this was a I I caught it. It was a bad sickness. It was a bad flu. It was. And and, and it it got a lot of people. And I know a lot of people that have died. Yet we are people of God. We are people of faith. And if that's what God is going to use to take me out, then that's what he's going to use. I mean, I could be driving home tonight and cross Waterman and 40th. I mean, constantly. Yeah, cars are flipped over. People are dying on that intersection. Every time I cross, I, before the light turns green, I, I look both ways and make sure, okay, I'm okay. You know, I'm careful. You know, I was careful with, with all these things. I washed my hands. I put on a mask when I needed to. I took care of those things. All I'm saying is that I am not <laughs> afraid of leaving this place. I'll share that verse with you here in just a little bit. But, but we'll, we'll talk about his, uh, his beginnings. Where did he come from? How, how, do he, how does he have all this power? Well, Paul is saying, first of all, you got to be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength. Don't try to muster up your own strength. Don't try to muster up your own power. As a matter of fact, here's the first thing I need to do. Number one, I need to admit that I have little power. Yeah. I have little power. As John is writing the letters to the seven churches, Jesus says, And if you want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to be going to Revelation quite a bit. In Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Philadelphia, he says, he says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works, he says. God knows your works. God knows what you're doing. God knows where you're where you're, uh, uh, where you're going to church at. He knows what you're doing. And behold, I have set before you an open door that no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
He says, you know what? There's a door right there available to you. I had to open that door because you don't have the strength and the ability to open that. All you have to do is to be. I have set before you. He says, I know. I know what you've done. I know your works. Your works didn't save you. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. But James tells us, you have faith? Well, show me your deeds. Because even though you have faith, you have to have the works to back it up. I can't tell you that I'm a truck driver if I don't know how to drive a truck. I can, I can tell you that I'm a chef and I can show you the schools that I've gone to. I can show you the books that I have. I can show you all my culinary uh, equipment that I have, the pans, the dishes, the, the knives, the everything. But you come over to my house and the food is all soggy. And oh, my God, what is this stuff? I thought you said you were. Ah, I, I go to the best. I go to the best schools. I got the best books. I've got the. Yeah, yeah but you don't know how to cook. <laughs> If we have to eat this, yeah, the soggy is mushy and the chicken tastes like wood. I don't. <laughs> I say I gotta get I gotta get out of this place. Get some kale pectate. Anyways, um, we start. You you see what I'm saying? You can't say one thing and then do something else and act differently. God knows your works. He knows what you're made of. He knows, and so it's a matter of understanding. Okay, I have little power, Lord. And I've been trying to fight this. I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to work this on my own. I have little power. As a matter of fact, Paul says to the people in Philippi, again, Philippians, he's in, he's in prison. And he's in a place where he says, I have no control over where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do. I'm chained to this Roman guard and I can write with my right hand and that's all I need. And then he says, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, Paul, you can't get out of prison. Well, that's not what I want to do. God has me here for a reason. You know, you, can, you can't get out of those chains, and that's not what I want to do. I want to be able to write. I have time. You know, I don't have the kids screaming at me and yelling at me and, and whatnot. And I don't have all these things going on in my life to, to cause me to pause and to stop. I can focus on what I need to do. Sometimes God's put you in a, in a place where you need to be. Beloved, let me share this truth with you. And you're not going to like it. But God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. He's more interested in what you're going to be than how comfortable you are. Look at Paul. Oh, he wasn't interested. You know, Paul wasn't in a very comfortable place. He wasn't. You know, every apostle was not in a very comfortable place. But God was more concerned about who they were becoming than their comfort. Now, some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. You know, I, 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 thought, I thought God, you know, doesn't cause these things to happen to me. I, you know, doesn't he, isn't he, doesn't he care? Of course he cares. But he cares more about who you are, who you're becoming, than what you are, than how much you have. Yeah, yeah. And if it takes, and if it takes that to get your attention, God will do it. He'll do it. I know people right now that are in, in locked up for, for a long time. And they are the most godliest people right now because, you know what, I think God got my attention. Well, if that's what he has to do to get your attention, then that's what he's going to do. You know, and he knows your works. He knows what it's going to take to get you out of there. He knows the, the areas of your financial struggles. He knows of all the things that are going on. But if that's what he has to do to get you to have humility, gentleness, love one another, bearing in love, to, to submit to one another, if those are the things he has to do, that's what he's going to do. It's just as simple as that. He is more interested in your character than your comfort. And guess what, beloved? When you become a a, a believer, if you become regenerated and you're following what we just talked about, the devil, your adversary is going to come at you. So this is why you need to be strong in the Lord and understand understand that that the battle's already been won. We're going to read of the battle. In Revelation chapter 12, we're going to read of those things that are to take place. And I'm going to show you the end. And, you know, you already know, spoiler alert, you already know the end. Jesus wins, okay? You already know that. But somehow we forget. Somehow we get so wrapped up in this world and in these worries and in this, this culture. We get so wrapped up in this stuff. And, you know, rightly so, because those are the things that we've gotten accustomed to. Again, Satan says, that's what you want. You want to be comfortable. See, if you're not comfortable, then God doesn't love you. If you're not comfortable, you know, God doesn't care. That can be further from the truth. Because remember, He is the deceiver. In 2 Corinthians 12, 
in your outline, it says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Just to put this verse in the context, you probably remember the thorn that Paul had in his side that he prayed three times. You know, and I don't think that Paul just came to the kitchen table. OK, Lord, thank you for this food. And oh, by the way, can you remove this thorn? You know, this his praying was very in, deep, was very intimate. It was a deep prayer. When he says he prayed three times, he prayed, probably fasted, probably gave everything as God. This is limiting my ability to do what I do best. I, I, I am an orator. God, I, I was the, a Jew of the Jew. I, I was a Pharisee. I had all this power. I had all this influence. Uh, you, you know, God, I, I'm able to just use my influence, and everything that I know, all my schooling, all my education, everything that I have, because this is who he was. By all intent and purposes, Paul was a failure according to the world standard because he had everything. He was, he was lined up to be the greatest philosopher, the greatest Jew, the greatest Pharisee of all time. To have the robes and the gold and the offerings and the, the honor and the prestige. And he had all these things. And, and Paul is, I, I, we don't know what his, I'm just using this as an example. We don't know what his thorn was. But whatever it was, Paul was praying earnestly, God, just let me have what I, what I need to get these things across. And then he says, you know, but I come to find out one thing. That when I am weak, you are strong. When I come to my nothingness, I realize that you are everything. When I get to the bottom of the barrel, when I get to the end of my rope, you're the one holding the rope. But I recognize that. And Paul was that. He lost everything. We don't know from biblical account if Paul was actually married and had children. But to be a Pharisee, you needed to be married and have children. You needed to manage your household well. That was just part of being a Pharisee. So we can infer that he might have been married. And he became a radical Christian. His wife probably says, you know, I don't want none of this. Do I have to stay with him? Nah, he's being unfaithful. You can divorce him. Okay. His children, we don't know. We, we don't really know. He wasn't single, should I say. I mean, he was at the end. But Paul is saying, when I am weak. That's how I figured this out. To be strong in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, I, not, I need to, first of all, admit that I'm not, I, I ain't, I'm not anything. I'm nothing. And, and it's only by the grace of God that I, I even exist. It's only by the grace of God that I'm able to to get from pointing, you know, God's blessing is upon me. A fallacy, something that many people think is true but is not. A lie, basically. People believe because they are doing good, God must be blessing them. Because I am doing good, God must be blessing me. You see, God causes His grace to shine upon all people. There's what they call common grace. We call this common grace. Common grace comes to everybody. You, you get the same sun and the same rain and the same everything else like as everybody else. Some people take advantage of that and use it upon their own selves. Other people, they recognize that it comes from God and they use it for the kingdom. God gives you that. And the fallacy or the falsehood or that which is not true, some people believe because I, I have all of this, therefore God is blessing me. And because I have all this, you know, God has blessed me and therefore I'm good. I'm all right. I don't need anybody. They are the hardest people to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're so lost. They don't even realize that they're so lost. And people live their life believing that they know God. I, I know God. I know that, you know, but they don't want anything to do with God. Only when they're in trouble. Only when their finances are, seem to be dwindling. And somehow they, they pick it all up. But see, that's not true. God blesses everyone. And some people are able to just take advantage of that. Some people not, you know, for whatever reason. But it's God. He's the giver of all good things. But just because you are weak doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Just because you are sick or just because you are whatever the case may be. When Jesus and his disciples came to the temple and they saw this, this beggar, this blind man at the temple, the first things the disciples thought. says, okay, somebody sinned here. Jesus, tell us, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it his parents that sinned? Or was it he that sinned that caused him to be blind? That was the idea and the thought of the day, even today. We think that because bad things happen to people, that God is punishing them. We think because they are not doing well, something's happened to them, is because you don't have enough faith. Because something you did. 
But Jesus turned it around on them and says, you know, this man wasn't born blind because of his parents or because of his sin. This man was born blind so that the power of God may be displayed through him. As a matter of fact, Jesus healed him right there and then. And he went around, I can see. And he went to the Pharisees, look, I can see. You know, No, you can't. You're not the same man. You, no, no, no. This guy, he made me see. Who? I, this guy they call Jesus. Who? And bring his parents. They couldn't believe that this was the same man these Pharisees seen every day going in and out of the temple, begging and asking for money. The parents came and says, yeah, that's our kid. Well, how is he able to see? I don't know. Ask him. He's old enough to know. He's old enough to answer. Well, who did this to you? Jesus did. Well, you know, you know, he's a sinner. Whether this guy is a sinner or not, I do not know. All I know is that I was blind and what? Now I see. That's all I know. And that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. And these Pharisees, well, you know what? If you don't tell us what is happening here, then you're going to be kicked out of the temple. That's why the parents say, you ask him because we don't want to get kicked out. Their influence was so powerful. But his name, though we don't know it, his name is not known, but his name is written in the book of life because Jesus used him to display the power of God. He wants to use you to display God's power. But what? We try to do it on our own. We, we work it ourselves. We, we, we try to just operate on our own understanding and on our own ideas and, and our own strength. And we just need to be still. Just be still and be, be at peace. Because when I am weak, he is strong. Number two, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's his battle. Be strong in the Lord. Okay? So I need to be strong in the Lord. And in his, his strength, the strength of his might. Why? Because it's his. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you may have heard this. King Jehoshaphat is going up against the battle and people are all against him. And he says, you know what? I don't think we're going to win, God. We don't have enough people. We're just so depleted. We're so lost. We're just, you know, wah, 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 wah. And God says, and he said, listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Don't be afraid. Now, I don't want to belittle some of the things that some of you have been going through. Okay, some of you have gone through some and are going through some terrible stuff. I mean, you know, it's it's more than likely. Well, okay, let me just put it this way. We all have a disease and that disease is called life. And if you live long enough, you'll die. Okay, but for some, it is just a little bit more real. Because of what's going on in your life. And it seems like this horde and all these things. And when I say horde, I mean like this huge crowd of people, as the Bible calls them. You know, it seems like there's a lot of tension, a lot of everything against us. There's nothing I can do. I feel sick. I, I, my, whatever the case may be, my boss, my family, my kid, whatever. And it all just seems to be pouring down on us. And, and, and God says, it's not your battle. Okay, I'm taking care of this. I'm dealing with this. You just happen to be right in the middle of where I want you to be at. And I want to show you something. This battle's not yours. It's God's. And for whatever reason, many people are going through this turmoil in their life. And one of the things that I know personally, that when I get to that point of my life, I know that I'm going to be, of course, depressed and probably mad and upset. You know, but, but I have nothing to be mad and depressed about because, you know, it's, it's just what happens. Life happens. Not for a long time, right? <laughs> Life happens. And if you live long enough, you know, each one of us are going to end up there. You know, some of you that have parents, you probably have already seen this in your parents' life or you're starting to see it. You're starting to see it. That, 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 but this battle is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. And he has something in store for his people. Not necessarily for me personally. He's not going to resurrect me from dead or take away all my sicknesses or whatever the case may be. I mean, he may choose to do so, but the battle still belongs to God. And whatever it is that he's going to do through my life, through your life, let him do it. If it's just to save one person. There's a story of these two young men that went to this revival a long time ago, back in the early 40s, 50s that uh, these guys were, were kids and, and they were, went to this revival and there was a tent revival. It was there for three days and the third night, it was the last night, these two young men showed up and they tried to get in and they looked around and said, you know what, I 
There's no seating place out here. So he started to walk out, and this old deacon comes up. Hey, hold on, young man. Hold on. And he went to the back of the, the tent, and he pulled out two crates, and he sat them down right there. You guys can sit here. Sit right there. Well, at the end of the sermon, the preacher was giving the message, and it was convicting, and people were coming forward. These two men came forward. One of them was a guy named Grady Wilson. Okay? The other guy, you might remember his name, was named Billy Graham. Okay? Now, that name will resound throughout history for all the lives that he was able to touch and change and, and uh, people came to know the Lord. And, and, and God used that old deacon who we'll never know. Most people don't even know the story. We, no, you'll never know who he was, who he is, but God used him. And he doesn't know. Probably, well, he does now if he's in heaven. I'm sure he, he knows. But the point of the matter is that God wants to use you whether to, to just pull out a crate for someone. Because you don't know who it is that you're ministering to. Does that make sense? The battle belongs to the Lord. As a matter of fact, he told Samuel the same thing. And, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into his hands. And, and so in, in the Old Testament, they were being tested time and time again because of their sin. And yet God rescued them, raised up a judge, raised up a king, raised up Samuel and raised up judges after that. Because you see, for though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, to tear down arguments, anything that sets itself up against God. And it's not with the weapon. It's not with the gun. It's not with the sword. It is with the power of God's might. And so we need to admit, number one, that I have little power. Number two, that the battle belongs to God. And so in order for me to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, those are the two things that we have to understand. I I don't need to have all the power and God's already got my back. That's it. So the strength of his might, what is that? Well, how do I get it? How do I, how do I, well, we have been talking about that up to this point. We have been talking about how to submit yourself to one another. Do the things that go contrary to your life. You know, if the world is telling you to do one thing, more than likely it's wrong. <laughs> if the world is saying you need to, and, and it, 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 more than likely it goes contrary to God's word. The world has a lot of information on how a husband and a wife should be treated, how children should be treated, how kids ought to rise up. They have the right answer for this social disturbance that we have going on in the world. But when you apply God's word and they're trying to get rid of it, Satan is just on the warpath, getting rid of as much of family life as possible to where the family is destroyed to, to some extent, to, to the authority of the father and the mother, the authority of God's word, the authority of the church. He's infiltrated the church. And the church does ha- doesn't have any authority anymore. As a matter of fact, it's become like the world. And the world is saying, yeah, that's the kind of church we want. If you hear the world saying that, that's not the kind of church you want. They're going to hate the church that tells the truth. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you notice that ever since uh, fact-checkers actually started to rise up when the truth started to come out? Oh, that's not true. That's not, that can't be true. No, 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 no. That's the Bible. That can't be true. And so every time you use the truth, people get upset, get, get angry. And so we, we understand that we need to find uh, the things that we, that we have just been talking about is how we are able to get into the strength of the Lord, the strength of his might. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. You're pleasing. Your bodies are are living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Your spiritual act of worship. You don't let the world transform your thought. Do not be conformed. I like one translation that says, do not let the world press you into its mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't let the world conform you, make you, shape you the way they want you to, but be transformed from the inside. If this is what God's word says, this is what I'm going to do. In spite of what everybody else says, you're going to get opposition. Just all the ways to it. It's going to come. 
You got to live by the word of God. James chapter 4 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will. You don't fight him. You don't try to argue with him. You don't try to barter with him. You, you know, one of, the, one of the hardest things that um, I think for many people to get over is the visual pictures and the, the attitude that we can beat, beat up Satan. You have, you have videos and movies and books of this demonic being. And we'll, we'll get into what Satan looks like. Because in what the movies show, you know, they, used, you know, they don't show it like this anymore, but there was a time that Satan was this being that was red, had a long tail, had a pitchfork, cloven foot, hooves and you know, fangs and, and horns and, and, all, and claws. You know, this is Satan. And, and it comes from the description of Revelation chapter 12, the red dragon. You know, they try to, and they depict Satan in such an ugly, most vile looking way. And, and in a lot of the movies that we have, you know, you have this ugly being, usually with fangs and teeth and, you know, all kinds of stuff. You know, kind of looks like, well, I don't want to say. But anyways, it looks like something ugly. And, and that's the picture that they have. And, and, and the picture that they have in the movies and books and whatever, there, there's always one person that can actually come up and Fight this person. Sometimes it's a priest, sometimes it's a pastor, but most of the time it's just somebody that knows how to outwit Satan. And they beat him up and they send him back to the abyss. And they're able to stand there and beat him up and fight with him. And, and the hero comes out and that on saves the day. Very few times, if any, is God given the glory. It's always what a person can do. It's always what that actor can do. It's what that person can do as he's acting and fighting this demonic force. Okay, now, just let me be clear. There are a lot of people that have said, I've seen Satan. Oh, yeah, she just came out. It's like this guy that came home drunk and his wife was just tired and tired of him coming home drunk. She figured, I'll dress up like Satan, scare him. Maybe he'll scare the drunkenness out of him. So he comes home while stumbling, and she comes out and says, Rawr! He looks at her and says, I ain't afraid of you. I'm married to your sister. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's terrible. That's what people think he's like. However, if he was really like that, if you were to see something like that, what would you do? Just out of curiosity, what would you do if you would see something like that? Oh, you were going to tell me. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me. What would you do? Would you really just say, oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, I, I, I'm, and I'm just willing to say that probably most of you would say something to the effect of, oh, my God, dear Lord Jesus Christ, and start praying. Get on your knees, run to church, help. You know, and that's the furthest place that Satan wants to send you. He doesn't want to send you to your knees. He knows that's where you get your power. Yeah. He doesn't want to submit you, submit you to him. He does, that's not what he wants to do. He doesn't want you to go to church, read your Bible, start you know, talking to other people, come pray for me, come pray for my house. That's not what he wants you to do. He doesn't want to scare you away. And people that claim that they have seen this being and you know, they, it, it scares them to the point of you know, going back to God, but they, they end up going back. See, Satan is an angel of light. He's a deceiver, master deceiver. He knows how to get your interests. He knows how to, he knows how, how to get you to, to, to confess some of the things that, that you really like. And, and he listens and he hears. And, and a lot of the things that you say, whether good or bad, mainly bad things, you know, like hateful, angry things and that you talk about other people, they're like arrows. And he, and he gets them and he puts them in his quiver. And then so then when, when, when you're arguing with somebody, he pulls out those fiery darts and he starts shooting them at you. And he uses this word. Remember this word? And remember this one? And he's just there just shooting these fiery darts. That's why you need the shield of faith. Because yeah. you and I have said some ugly stuff about people. Yeah. Satan will use those things. He will. He'll use them to deplete you. You see, and, and when we're thinking about fighting against the devil, you don't fight. James says, submit yourself to him. Excuse me, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. You submit to God and say, okay, Lord, I just need to realize, what does your word say? And here's the problem. Many people don't know what the word says. Many people say, you know, well, I, I think that God helps those that help themselves. I know it's in there somewhere. You know, I've heard that one over and over again. So I got to help myself. I can't trust God. God would never tell you that. But that's what a lot of people believe. And God helps those who help themselves. And so if I can just help myself, don't ask anybody else for help, then I can get over this. That's the idea. 
The Bible don't say that. You know, maybe if I just fight, if I just put on this armor and go in there and start fighting, maybe I can beat them up like they do in the movies. You know, maybe I can do that. No, you resist. You resist. What's your temptation? What's your temptation? Is it anger? See, the Bible doesn't say don't get angry. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Okay? What's your temptation? Somebody gets you mad? Well, first of all, understand this. The reason that I have a problem, an issue with anger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can turn it off anytime. <laughs> okay, I'll wait until you're done. <laughs> okay, good. The way it works is that if you have a problem with anger and you really just don't like that person that just offended you, your problem is not that person, it's spiritual forces, but it's the same problem that Satan had, and that's pride. Pride. You disrespected me. You just said something bad to me. So now I have to get back at you. And I want what you have, or whatever it is, pride. Pride kicked Satan out of heaven. He was proudful, he was boastful. And that is what he uses. When he sees that you're prideful, that you're, you know, that you, you know, I take care of myself. I stand for myself. I built this world by myself, out of my own two hands. And somebody is threatening me, then I'm going to stand up and fight that person. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. As a matter of fact, it says just the opposite. Submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21. I want you to remember that. I want you to memorize that verse. Ephesians 5.21. Submit, therefore, to one another. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. But they're going to win. Yeah? You think so? Not in God's economy, they're not. But I'm going to lose everything. Really think so? Can't lose your salvation. You really think so? Yeah, and so pride seems to be the one, number one issue in anger. What's your problem? You know, is your problem uh, pornography? You know, is, is it pornography? Is it something going through the internet? You know, today, everybody has just right here in their back pocket that all they have to do is just start scrolling. And all you have to do is just like one picture. I like that one. Guess what? Your phone, your computer gets flooded with stuff. You know, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Yeah. You know what I say? I mean, you know, he's, Jesus is saying, you know, do the drastic thing to get rid of that, whatever it's causing you to stumble. Yeah. And one of the best ways to do that is just get rid of cable. Some of you are thinking, I'd rather just gouge out my eye. <laughs> I'd rather, I can, at least I can see with one good eye. <laughs> do what has to be done. Yeah. Get rid of your cable. You know, block these, these people, reset your phone, and just keep scrolling. Resist. Don't try to fight it. I, I won't look at this anymore. I won't look at this anymore. I won't look at this anymore. I, you know what you're doing? Yeah. Every time you say, I won't, I won't, I won't do this, 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 yeah. you're driving it deeper inside of your mind, deeper and deeper. It's being embedded on the thing that you don't want to do. You don't try to argue with it. You don't try to fight it. You just resist it. Just stop it. That's it. Two words. Stop it. Yeah, I know it's a lot easier said than done, right? I know it is. Because Satan knows your weakness. Yeah. Just stop it. Yeah. Turn it off. Change it. Is, is your, is your uh, is it dr- whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, what is, what is your weakness? What is your weakness? Just stop doing it. And the problem is, is that we've been doing it for so long that that's, it's just second nature to us. It's like these ruts that come down the mountains. You see, when, when it rains and it pours and, and it just cuts into the rock and it cuts into the dirt and, and makes these huge ruts. And, and the, that's how it naturally flows. We have ruts in our mind that naturally, the first thing that comes up to our mind is what it is that we've been doing all this time. This is why Paul says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can change these ruts on these mountains. Oh, it's going to take a bulldozer. Yeah, it's going to take some dirt. You can change the ruts in your mind, and it's going to take a rock, the solid rock, Jesus Christ. That's all it takes is just stop it. You see, coming to church is going to help you to, okay, how do I do that? You know, really, is it that simple? Well, you know, uh, the, only, the only example that I have in Scripture about being that simple is the guys that were being crucified on the cross. One of them just understood, you know, we're rotten sinners. 
The other guy says, hey, if you're really the son of God, get us out of here. Get us all off of this cross. Come on. And the other guy says, man, won't you shut up? Don't you know that we're up here because of what we've done? And he hasn't done anything. You know, and I don't know how else to think, Jesus. I don't know how else to do it. But you know what? Just, just, just think about me when you get there. That's all. Just, you know, maybe, maybe just think about me. I know where I'm going. I know that I'm dead. I know that I have no way of ever going to church, praying the sinner's prayer, getting baptized. I have no way of giving alms or giving my monies to the church. No way. Just, just, just think about me. What happened? He had a transformed mind. Just like that. I'd like to see... What happened to Barabbas? You remember Barabbas? Who do we let go? We let go of Jesus or Barabbas? Crucify Jesus. Let go of Barabbas. But he's a murderer. I'd like, to, I'd like to know what happened to his life. I'd like to know. You know, it's just, just a, a, we have no clue. All we know is that Barabbas. And, and, and I wonder, I, I just wonder if his life was transformed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You know, there are so many examples that I can give, but, but the fact of the matter is, is it, it can't be done. Not on your own strength. Some of you are trying to do 12-step programs. You know, some of you are trying to you know, get, the, get your mind to change. Some of you are trying to go to counseling. Some of you are trying to, whatever the case may be. You know, and I've said this before, I didn't go to the 12-step program. I just took one step. Okay, Jesus, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? And, and he, from that point forward, he showed me. Stop the drugs, stop the, all, all that stuff. You know, just, what do I do? Look at, uh, if, let, let's look at the next verse, the big one, Ephesians 1.15. And I'll conclude with this. <clears throat> Paul says, and, the, and he goes back to the beginning. You know, I'm going back to the beginning where Paul started off. He says, you know, I pray for you all the time for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. We need wisdom. What's true, what's not. And revelation and understanding to be able to see in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or have your, your heart just see the things. And, and wow, I can see what God is trying to tell me. That you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? He's not talking about your riches now. He's not talking about your houses, your cars, your monies, and bank accounts right now. All that stuff is being taken away anyways. That you see the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? Oh, God, uh, Paul wants you to see God's power. He wants you to see, you know, I, I continually pray for you. There's things that you're going through. I want you to know the wisdom and, and understand the truth. And I want you to see his immeasurable greatness of his power. Amen. That is my desire for you. I want you to see that. I want you to know that. I want you to understand that he has given it to those who believe according to the working of his great might. That power, that great working is what Paul starts his letter off with. He says, you know, this is why you've been called. This is when you were dead, he brought you to life. This is why you've been saved by grace. This is how you should act. This is how you should be. And now I want you to put on this full armor. I want you to put this on for this reason. I remind you, he tells Timothy, to fan in the flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of Power and love and self-control. That's the spirit you got. No need to fear this world. And then later on uh, in the same, same book, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do you get that strength? The grace in Christ Jesus. Just know that God loves you. He's given you this everlasting love through His grace, not by your works. You couldn't save yourself. He saved you because of His grace. And you know what happens? At the end, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And death is no more for those who are in Christ Jesus. We start off, we start off putting on this full armor of God, first and foremost, not believing that that armor is going to save us, that that armor is going to help us to, to destroy the enemy, that that armor... No, we start off first and foremost by understanding that we need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. 
And so we need to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And that man, that, that creature, that being has so many schemes, so much experience. He's been doing this for centuries. You're not going to outwit him by yourself. Let me ask you to stand. Lord, we need to understand that first and foremost, it's not by my strength, my, my energies, my abilities on what I do. I stand solely before you, unclothed, naked, weak, knowing that I'm unrighteous. But it's your righteousness. It's you who have given me your righteousness. And it's your righteousness that flows through me, not my own. I am made right, I am made whole because of who you are and what you've done on the cross. And as we approach this season where we celebrate that resurrection, as we approach the time that you uh, came back to life and you propitiated for us, you appeased the anger and the wrath of your heavenly Father, of our Father. You appeased that wrath that was upon us because of your sacrifice, because of your atonement. And it's because of that that we're able to stand. So, Lord, I just thank you once again. I thank you, God, for giving us the direction that you've given us so far. We've learned so much in these last few months. And, and I pray, God, that, that all that we've learned, that we apply it to our life. We, we've, we've acquired a lot of information. Help it to make the transformation. To renew our minds by transforming our minds. So help us to stand firm in you, Lord. Help us to stand firm in you. Thank you once again for your word that we take it and we apply it to our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. And amen. Let me just give a, a very brief and quick, quick word on our Seder that is coming up on the 10th, I, I believe, right? 10th? Okay. It's on the 10th. Uh, Seder, just so you know, uh, we start at 10 o'clock instead of 10.30. We need an extra half hour. And actually probably go on a little bit longer past 12. But Seder is going to be all done in the fellowship hall. And we're going to assign tables to everyone. And in every table, there's a table leader. Very simple. Very, all you do is follow my direction. And uh, you will be asked to pour the cups. You will be asked to pass around the elements. Uh, we will have all the elements of the Passover on top of the table. We will have the bitter herbs, the matzah, the haroshet, the, uh, all the various types of things that we need, the parsley, the salt water. Everything will be all ready for you. All you have to do is just be there and bring your family and your friends. And I'll tell the story of the Passover. I'll go over the whole story of the Passover. And right in the middle of the Passover, uh, as it's traditionally done, we will have a meal. We'll eat. In other words, so this is a worship service where we get to eat right in the middle of church. Okay? Uh, there's not going to be any singing. There's not going to be any other uh, you know, preaching except for what it is that's uh, already outlined there. And, and so what we need is we need your help to uh, well provide the meals. We don't charge. Most churches, uh, Jewish churches, they, they charge a premium dollar. But they also have it at, um, uh, you know, at a nice restaurant or hotels, and they set it up really nice. And we try to do it nice also. However, we do ask that you contribute something. Just bring enough for 10 people, uh, whatever it is. We have a list. It's a very small list. It's not, it's not a, a lot of stuff that we're going to have because it's not about the, the food. It's more about the, the, the learning. However, we do want to experience the food as well. So uh, there is a sign-up list that Ken has, all right? It's in the fellowship hall. And, uh, and if, you, if, if you can participate, great. If you can't, it's all right, too. But uh, we just ask that you help set it up, uh, bring it, and to have it ready. Bring it with yourself. You know, don't give it to us. You'll, we'll ask you to be responsible for it. So bring it. Make sure somebody's there to serve it. If uh, nobody else is, maybe you can. And then, you know, clean up afterward. Um, we, we do expect a few people. We do have other people that come from other churches that traditionally come just to experience this, because a lot of people um, have not experienced it before. Uh, Grandpa, I mean, he, he's, I think you liked it before, right, brother? You've been, you've been to one of our uh, seders, right? Passover meals. Oh, okay. I, th I thought, I, I'm sorry. I thought, okay. Okay, yeah, and so if you, uh, if you are thinking about doing it, I mean, we still have some time to think about that. Um, we will provide everything. The only thing I ask and, you know, it's, again, we're not trying to be Jewish, but the only thing I ask is no pork. That's it. So no carnitas. Okay. If you want to bring carnitas, you can bring them next week, the following week. 
But we're trying to be as, you know, as kosher as possible. I mean, you know, we're not going to do it all because we're not Jewish. We don't understand all the kosher laws. But, uh, but, but again, it's, it's a matter of just honoring what Jesus, the disciples, the very first century, they continued on with the Passover until everything was taken away. And so um, you'll get to see how Jesus Christ fits every single one of those things. And how at that time, the, you know, the, the, the Israelites were saved from Satan's domain and how God saved them. Okay? You have any questions, let me know. But uh, very, very simple, very brief. And, and it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, we'll probably do it outside. Uh, we'll have a canopy to make sure that you know, nobody burns up. If it's hot, if it's really cold and, and windy, we'll, we'll end up doing it inside. But more likely, we'll do it outside. Any questions, by the way, that anybody might have? If you're going to bring something, bring it um, before 10, probably 9.30. Right, Ken? About 9.30? Little or 10 o'clock, yeah. 9 o'clock? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have uh, chafing dishes that will keep everything warm. So... Okay, let me see what else. Uh, oh, and on that day, we will, we will do the Lord's Supper on that day. Yeah. We won't do it on the first, okay. which is the first Sunday. We'll do it on that day. And I want everyone to participate in it. Uh, so, you know, everyone is going to be able to take the, take the bread and take the juice. Yeah. And it's going to be very different. And I pray that, as it has for many other people, it has a dip, deeper and different meaning for you from this point forward. Okay, we are dismissed. Thanks for your time.